Welcome to Chase the Vase podcast, where we share stories about those who have fought to overcome addiction. Join us every Tuesday and Thursday for the latest stories, tools, and tricks to sobriety. Now, here's your host, Brock Bevel. Welcome to Chase the Vase podcast. Super excited to introduce my friend Tara Nicole, I just got I got to let you know how I found you, man. I I've been following follow you on Instagram and I love what you're you're putting out there and your vibe and I love your your drive for recovery. And I'm going to be honest, I have not interviewed anybody with less than 100 days in sobriety and there's reasons for that, right? I know that there's something different about you and I and I want to share that part and that story with you. So just to intro you, you are a mental illness advocate. Give me a brief. What is that really? Yes. What does that mean? So um, I've kind of battled, uh, you know, mental illness my entire life. When I was in high school, I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety. I was on and off medication in and out of therapy. Um, but I kind of stopped that once I went into the Navy, I got into the Navy, I tried to, to take care of it again. But most recently, once I got sober last year, I was actually re-diagnosed with uh, bipolar disorder and PTSD. So there was some misdiagnosis in the beginning. And I, while I think there is still some of the other issues, um, so it's just it's important to me uh, to kind of bring a face to the diagnosis, I guess, um, because I think people hear bipolar or they hear PTSD and they like freak out. So I, I just want to bring more awareness around that. I love that. Thank you. So you kind of gave away who you are. You're a Navy. You're a, you're a police officer in the Navy yeah. and you're a recovering alcoholic. Yes. So people are going to hear this and say, okay, Tara, what is that? How do you become a police officer and a recovering alcoholic. No, entirely. And I, I started drinking when I was 15. So, you know, I went into the Navy with drinking problems. I had already been in trouble for drinking. Um, but I think the Navy kind of like uh, made it worse, maybe, you know. Exacerbated it. it. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. It, the environment that you're around, everyone is drinking. And unfortunately, um, I had, you know, brothers and sisters, you know, in arms, essentially, that protected me when I shouldn't have really been protected when I was drinking on duty or I shouldn't have been doing things because I, you know, I was hungover or anything like that. I mean, I threw that. And then once I got out of the Navy, you know, I was still drinking five or six years after that. So, but you, I think you just find a way you find alcoholics, addicts, they find a way to their work and their addiction you know, a lot of them find a way to make it work together. Man, so. you just hit it, right? That's crazy. Yeah. 10 years old, talk to us. How did that begin? You know, I was always drawn to the the harsher crowd. I came from an, uh, an alcoholic family. Um, you know, there was some violence in the home. And I think I always felt drawn to the kids who kind of came from the same background almost. And I got arrested for the first time when I was 14 for shoplifting. And, and so, I mean, I guess that probably tells you the, the kind of people that I was, you know, really hanging out with. But yeah, I mean, it started out as just going to parties on the weekends. And then it turned into, I'm going to chug this uh, bottle of Captain Morgan faster than you're going to chug this bottle of Captain Morgan. You know, and I was 15, 16 years old. I was, as soon as I had gotten my license, I was driving from parties, drunk. So it, it just, it just kind of escalated from, from there. So it was that one of the reasons you picked going to the Navy? Yes. 
So I actually, my dad died when I was 17. And then my mom kicked me out of the house shortly after. So I kind of was forced to go live. I, I went and lived with my aunt and I tried to go to college, not in the right state of mind. I was partying. I actually was involved in a hit and run accident where I was the person that hit someone's vehicle and drove off. I was drunk. Um, they tracked me down. And then I had a alcohol poisoning incident where I actually became unresponsive and they had to take me to the hospital. And from that point on, I had no direction. I had failed my first year of college. I didn't have anywhere to go, anything to do. And so I was just like, okay, well, I don't have an option. I, I'm going to have to go into the military at this point. Isn't that crazy? Like, okay, that's the, that's the final. I'm going to the military, yeah. right? Yeah. And then joining the military just kind of complicated that behavior. Yeah. You know, I was 19 when I, when I went in and, um, you've got 18, 19, 20 year old, you know, young adults running around, no real direction going on in life. And you're kind of released out on your own. And the work is hard. It's stressful. A lot of people have never been away from their parents. They don't really know if they're going to get deployed or anything like that. So there's a lot of stress that just with the job itself, you know, would make people want to drink a lot. So, so at work is, did they ever find out that you were I know you had a good team protecting you. And that's yeah. funny because I noticed that even in law enforcement, we we protected, I mean, we definitely protected each other, but our female officers, man, we it was like we were yeah. lions, right? Protecting yeah. them. 100%. And I remember w one of the first incidents, um, I was stationed um, up in Washington State. And, you know, I had been out drinking at a party and I had, was driving back to base and I had came on to base and they were DOD civilian police officers that were standing gate. It wasn't military. And they knew I, how heavily intoxicated I was, but they followed me to my barracks room to make sure that I got back to my barracks room safe, but they never did anything. There was a point in time when I was stationed over in Virginia where I had brought, I always, Jack Daniels ended up being my, uh, my drink of choice. And so I would mix it in with a Diet Dr. Pepper bottle um, and bring in my Diet Dr. Pepper bottle while I was, you know, sitting watch or whatever. And no one ever picked it. No, nobody ever zoned in on anything. I, I heard more times than I didn't that people could never tell if I was drunk or not. You know, the, the term functioning alcoholic or whatever. I was that to a T. You would have never known unless you were super, super close to me, um, like a boyfriend. But you you wouldn't know from the outside looking in that I had an issue. Yeah. So. Do you wish, do you wish someone intervened? Do you wish like looking back in your life, like hit and run, you know, all these incidents are like, man, why didn't anybody like reach out to me or did they? So I had a lot of people try to stop me. I had uh, a friend's parents who tried to intervene while I was in high school and I don't know what it was. I always thought I had it under control. I always told myself that I can hold a job. It's, I, you know, I'm not, my appearance isn't going away. Like I, I've got this together. This isn't actually impacting my life. If I really want to stop, I can stop. I actually used to reach out to my sister multiple times. Um, and I would say, Hey, I think I need help. She would send me information to, to rehabs. And then I would get myself sober for like 30 days at home. And then I'd be like, Oh, well, I'm not an alcoholic. I got sober for 30 days alcoholics can't do that. Do I wish? I don't think that it would have changed anything because there were people that tried to intervene. Even the the day of my DUI, I had friends who tried to take my keys and tried to drive me home and I told them that I was okay. So And you were were you a mean, were you feisty, drunk, would like or 
Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, uh, I've been known to throw a couple punches or, uh, and unfortunately a lot of the times it was the bartenders on the other end because I'm from a super small town and the, the bartenders were well aware of my behavior because I go to the same bar, you know, every weekend, you know, they would take my keys from me. We would get into physical altercations. Actually last year, I, you know, I got sober May 19th of 2019 and I had made it about 15 months. And so I tried to start dating again and I was over at a guy's house and what was supposed to have been, you know, what I thought I could handle one drink turned into me drinking a whole fifth. I actually ended up fighting him because apparently I wanted to drive home. I don't remember any of that, but um, yeah, I was very physical <laughs> when, when I drank a lot. So you were a blackout drunk type yeah. person. You drink until you blacked out. From the, from the time I was in high school, I, n- I never felt like there was any purpose to me. There's no purpose to drink unless you're going to black out. I, I kept searching for something else to numb me, something that was stronger, you know? So if I hit this point, I'm like, okay, well, I got to keep pushing it. You know, seven beers isn't doing it anymore. I'm going to have to go to 12. So Tara, what were you running from? What were you trying to medicate? Yeah. You know, and I, what it all boils down to is, is, uh, you know, just my head myself, you know, it, it comes back to that mental illness and it comes back to uh, childhood trauma. 100%. You know, I was always taught, um, if you are not being raped and you have food, on your plate and a roof over your head that you just don't complain. You know, there, there's nothing to complain about. And it wasn't until I became an adult and I really got sober that I really realized, hey, the way I grew up wasn't the greatest. My parents did, you know, beat the crap out of one another and they both battled alcohol issues and it was just not a healthy environment growing up. So I, I 100% know that that's, that's what I was primarily running from. So it was a learn, kind of a learned behavior? Yeah. Yeah. So man, this is like a therapy session. It just turned that way. You know what I mean? But uh, there's some, there's some important things that you said, like there, I know there's listeners out there that will talk about that want to know more about your childhood trauma and how that became such played such a big role in your life. Right. Cause people don't understand how big those traumas get. Right. Even though it happened as a child, they still have a, a huge effect in our lives today. Can you talk on that? Yeah, actually, you know, I started seeing that was part of after I got sober and then I relapsed. Um, I kind of had a, an awakening, I guess, per se. I got a psychiatrist and a therapist because, you know, I realized there was a lot of unresolved issues. But that was something that my therapist pointed out to me at one point because I struggled as a parent. Um, you know, even though I've read the books and I know what I'm supposed to do, parenting my own child and doing things the right way and not the wrong way, she explained to me that, you know, I was never shown that as a child though while I was developing. And I think that that's if you're not taught the correct things as a child when your brain is in early development mode, it's going to be a lot harder to retrain yourself to you know, to do things and leaving things unresolved, not talking about them, um, not processing them. It's just going to manifest inside of you until you explode one day or, you know, you either commit suicide or, you know, death by addiction. Unfortunately, you know, there's no real pleasant way to, to put it aside from, I mean, that stuff has to be dealt with. You know, I think that it's a, it's a major thing. So do you feel like you were using the alcohol to self-medicate, to kind of suppress those feelings that you were, ha- you were having? You know, when I, um, I noticed that as I've gotten sober and I've noticed a lot of my triggers are emotionally driven. So um, if I am feeling mad, 
it makes me want to drink. Or if I'm feeling sad, it makes me want to drink. So it's all of the negative emotions and feelings for me uh, that drive me to want to go have a drink. It's not, hey, I'm having a great day. I need to go have a a bottle of Jack. It's I'm freaking stressed out. I hate life right now. And it's just become my, it was my way of dealing with those feelings and emotions and, you know, external negative factors, because I just never knew how to properly process those. So you posted a, a thing today. This has kind of excited me. You posted that you've hit your 100 days of sobriety for a second yeah. time. I mean, you've had sobriety in the past. You relapsed. You shared about it. Now you have 100 days. Congratulations, by the way. Thank That's you. phenomenal. Thank but when you posted, what was interesting is you said, hey, uh, even though I'm still sober, I wanted a drink, right? And mm-hmm. but I, and it's been building. These feelings yeah. have been building and building. And as as addicts, we can understand that. Like what was funny is you said by your negative emotions, I know people that it doesn't matter if it's a negative or positive. They're like, okay, it's, I've had a great day. I'm going to go drink. I had, man, today I, I got a promotion. I'm going to go drink. My kids got a volleyball game. I'm going to go drink. Like we look right. for these reasons, right? So yeah. talk to me because I, because I, when I read it, you talked about every time that you want to drink, you hear, a, you hear a small voice. Yes. What it, well, talk to me on that because that's important. So it's kind of like this inner dialogue that basically tells me, okay, well, you've earned this. It's not going to be that big of a deal if you do this. You can do it. And my thing is, is, I can do it and get away with it because I know how to do it and get away with it. And so I, you know, I, I basically just talk myself into it and say, okay, well, you know, Hey, everybody's going to be gone. You can go get this bottle. It's going to be okay. Nobody's going to know. You don't need to tell anybody. And then it'll be over and done with, and you're going to feel better. And then it's like, I have to physically, it's like this other person on my shoulder. That's like, Nope, you need to get up and you're going to have to go do something else. And so I have to avert, you know, my thinking it is, and, and that's why I try to find all these, um, like I just recently did David Goggins 4x4x48 challenge. Yes. You know, it's a strategy for discipline. And I am a 100% believer in so much of this is just discipline. Like you're good. You're going to have all of this stuff going on, but you have to, you have to try to, you know, that inner Tara voice. that's like, okay, well, you know, you want to drink, you think you can do it. Let's get up and go for a, a two hour walk or let's go drive. Let's go do something. So I have slowly, and you know, I I don't know if it's, I'm really hopeful that it's going to stick for the rest of my life and everything, but you know, that's kind of what pushes me through. Love that. So you talk about a really important part, David Goggins, four by four by 48. So that's four miles every four hours yes. for 48 hours. Yeah. With what I do as well, I talk about the the whole, like sobriety for me is super mental, right? And yes. I think that's kind of what you're talking about. And you're talking about the discipline behind it, yes. right? What's cool, Tara, is you talked about some tools that you use when you, because I'm telling you what, I'm super heady. I'm yeah. super heady as well. Like I can talk myself and there are some times like I'm having a conversation with that other guy. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm looking Seriously. around like, I'm hoping nobody can hear yeah, it. Yeah. Right. Cause I'm like, <laughs> I'm battling with this dude. Yeah. I'm like, why are you even in my head right now? And it, maybe it has to do with some mental illness. Maybe it just has to do with like in sobriety, we just get better. We start mm-hmm. healing. Right. Yes. I, to- I told a story yesterday. I was coming home from Northern Arizona and I was coming in this massive snow. Um, it had been snowing the roads were super icy, right? And the clouds were coming in. I was just, 
I was super heady and I'm white knuckling it. I'm trying to figure it out. I'm stressed out. I'm sitting there cussing in my head. I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I'm going to wreck, you know, and everybody's yeah. trying to fly past me. And then as soon as I get to the top of the hill and I start coming down, the heavens open up and it's blue sky. The ice is gone. Right. And I'm like, yes. oh my gosh, like that's addiction, right? That's addiction it where it's just chaos. And this is sobriety. This is recovery. It's supposed to feel calm. And as you learn those skills, like you said, so some of your tools were going for a run or going for a walk. Mm -hmm. What yes. other tools do you use to battle this? I find driving to be helpful. And I know that, you know, that doesn't work for everybody. It's the main concept of I'm having to focus while, you know, focus my brain driving and I'm physically contained. And so, and then I can listen to music at the same time. Music seems to be a huge thing for me, but also I write a lot, you know, whether it's journaling or, um, you know, if you're an actual writer and you just like writing, I write poetry too, not for anybody else, just for myself. But a lot of the times it helps to just get whatever is up here out, mm. you know? And I think that that, and and honestly, it's it's one reason why I post so much on Instagram because it helps me. It's it's therapeutic for me to get everything out of my head out in you know to the into the interweb, I guess. And and hopefully it resonates with one person or two people. So yeah, those those are the the main ones for me. Two things I want to talk to you before we're done. You you talked mm -hmm. about in, in your addiction, you said once you kind of got comfortable, you you made some phrases that I can stop. Right. This is what the mm -hmm. conversation you have with your sister. I can stop. I got this. I'm not an alcoholic. And then we drink. And then what happens? And then all of that goes away. Um, and then you're entering into this world of poor me. What did I do? I made the worst mistake. I hate myself. You know, and I, I went back to, to drinking after I, you know, I would get myself clean or whatever, because I, you know, I did have myself convinced that, that I was sober. But after I did relapse, it, it sent me, it sent me spiraling back down again for a while. I mean, I, I kept drinking for three months after that. So. You had how much clean time before you relapsed? 15 months. Okay. So what happened at that 15 month mark? So I don't think it was necessarily the 15 month mark that did anything for me. I think it had been building over the whole year because I had felt so accomplished. The only other time I had not drank was when I was pregnant with my son, obviously. And then um, I, I managed to keep myself from drinking that time. But other than that, the longest I had gone without a, a sip of alcohol was, you know, 15 days, 30 days. So I felt like I was a champion and I kept feeling like, man, this is so easy. I'm, I'm just knocking this out of the ballpark. Like then I tried to enter back into the dating world because they say to say, you know, your first if you're not already in a relationship to try to stay, you know, single that first year of sobriety. And, you know, I thought I had everything under control and then I entered back into the dating world. And then that kind of sent me spiraling. You know, it, it was a ma major cause for me. Did you feel like you became super confident in your recovery? I did. I felt like I, um, like I'd won a gold medal, I guess, you know, like I had accomplished it. Like, Hey, here's your plaque. You win. It's over. Don't worry about it anymore. People can put drinks in front of you and you're going to be just fine. And it's not that. And I, I wanted it to be that, um, you know, so I'd go out on dates with these guys and they would be drinking and they would have drinks around me. And, you know, I kept 
it was repetitive over and over and over again. And finally I was like, well, I can do this. And I think a part of me just got so pissed that they could drink and I couldn't. And so I was like, just pour me one, one glass. I just want one, you know, and and I gave in and then it just went from there. So. Wow. So what are you doing this time to keep that sobriety? What tall fences have you built to stay sober? So I have really went in with the, um, you know, dating is going to be something that is going to have to be a really, really slow, slow, slow process for me. And for some people in recovery, you know, it it may not be as hard, but uh, relationships, I've never been in a sober relationship. That's going to be a whole new world for me. I don't even know how to have a relationship sober, no friendship, relationship, anything. So, you know, this time around, I'm gonna, I'm upfront, you know, I'm, I'm extremely upfront with people and I'm not backing down. Like if they want to drink, then I'm just not even thinking about it, you know, and it's, it, it is harder. And I get that, you know, for people who really want to be in a relationship and build a family, but at the end of the day that your sobriety is not worth it, you know, and I look at my kid and the relationship that I've been able to build with him over the last you know, year and a half that I was losing, you know, I was losing touch with him entirely. So there's just, there's nothing that a relationship with a, you know, with a guy that that would be able to replace that relationship with my son. So how I I know that you, you posted something about, um, I have to cut people out of my life, you know, if, and this is kind of what you're talking about, because I think we hold on to these people that we, we believe are friends that are adding to our addiction that are fueling this addiction. How can you speak to the people out there about those toxic people? What do you, what do you recommend? So my suggestion, be upfront. I was very upfront with my friends when I first got sober. And I said, you know, I cannot be around alcohol. I just can't. Those first 90 days were super important that I just had to remove it. And I think you'll be able to tell, you know, right hands off the ones that are going to support you and the ones that aren't. And it sucks. I, I, I'm not saying that you can't be friends with people who drink because I do. I am friends with people who drink. But if they're not going to support you in the way that you need to be supported, think they need to be removed because it's, it's going to harm you down the road. There are so many people, you know, whether you go to AA or NA or if that's your thing or, but finding a group that is similar to you, that is so important. And I didn't realize that in the beginning. And I tried to do everything on my own. It didn't work out, you know, obviously. So um, I think it's just, you need to surround yourself with people who have the same, you know, the same outlook, the same struggles. It's important to be able to reach out to them. How open are you now about your recovery? I am extremely open and I am that way for a reason. It's more of a protective measure. Um, I feel like it keeps people away from me. Um, if they know that I am, hey, I am an alcoholic. I cannot drink. I cannot do this. This is how I have to be. And it puts up a barrier. It puts up a fence line and only certain people want to push past that. You know, I'm looked at as like a fun killer. Some people don't even, I don't get invited to things that alcohol is even around anymore, you know? And so I think that that's a huge protective measure for me. And that's one of the reasons why I am so open about it. I love it. So let's shift topics real quick. Kind of my love. Let's talk really fast about PTSD. If you don't mind, okay. yeah. I know you indicated that you have been diagnosed or you've got some, some assistance with PTSD. How has, has your addiction been affected by your PTSD? Do you believe? 100%. And, and that's something that I think is people um, connect PTSD with, with the military. 
Um, but PTSD can come from so many other things. You know, my PTSD came from the recurring childhood issues. And then I found my dad dead when I was 17. And that was something that, you know, I repressed a lot. So I think that by not working through those issues and by just drinking and drinking, it sent, it sent me into, you know, a depression. So yeah, I mean, 100%, I think that, that people think that drinking, it, it gives you a temporary illusion that stuff is fixed. I am going to black out your brain for five hours so you don't have to worry about it. But then when you wake up and you're hungover, it's still there. You know, so 100%, I don't think that, that the drinking helped anything. I, I think that if anything, my, uh, my past definitely made the drink worse. So, so addiction and mental health, a lot of time there's dual diagnosis. They go together hand in hand. And how do you talk to the people out there that are struggling with mental illness and they're kind of self-medicating through alcohol? You know, and, and from what I have, you know, I'm, I'm definitely no expert on anything and I'm still trudging through all this, but from my research on, you know, online and talking to my therapist and everything, I, my suggestions, um, you know, if you do know that you have a mental illness or you think that you do battling both of those and trying to fix both of those at the same time is going because they have, they're treated differently. And so if you can, you know, try to work on both of those at the same time and, and treating them, then that's definitely helpful. You know, when people reach out to me, um, saying that, Hey, you know, I'm battling, you know, I want to kick this opioid addiction or I want to get off cocaine or, you know, most of the time I don't even have to ask why they turn to, to drugs or alcohol. They'll just open up and tell me, you know, this is why I'm doing this. Well, that gives me, you know, there's an answer there. Like you need to, to start with your base. You need to, you know, get that kind of worked on, fixed on, you know, whether that's a lot of people still don't believe in therapy. And I, you know, I think that there is a different route for everyone. Not everybody is meant to go through AA or NA and not everybody, you know, is going to be as willing and open to do therapy or be on medication. Um, but there are so many different avenues in today's age that can help, you know, with whatever direction you're wanting to go. Yeah. Awesome. You've been uh, very, very honest and open. I really appreciate you. I'm excited for people to hear this. Yeah. I think we're all going through it, Tara. Yeah, no, I agree. And that's the thing. I think that um, the more and more people talk out about it, the more people are willing to seek help. And, you know, I think that that's important. If And that's what I've always told myself with being open. If I can help one kid get their mom or dad back, then I'm done. I, I fulfilled it because I know what it's like to be that lost kid because my parents never figured it out. And, you know, I was going down, I was becoming a statistic for my kids. So I think that it's, and it's important. So the more people that, that speak out against it, the more we can help. Okay. So we're going to invite you back here on day 200. All right. How's that sound? Sounds great. Uh, we we want to follow your journey. So if we're going to follow you, what's the best way to find you? So I am primarily active on Instagram. My tag name, it's just my first name, which is T-A-R-A -A, um, with a period. And then my middle name, Nicole, N-I-C-O-L-E with another period and then 89. So um, you can connect with me there. I'm also, I utilize a, an app, a reframe app. So you can connect with me there. Facebook as well. Mm -hmm. Well, we want I want to invite the listeners to go, go follow your journey. Cause I think the more people that you have, the more people that you are impacting the, the greater chances of your sobriety as well. We need right. a village, right? We need each other. Yes. <laughs> 100%. 
So thank you. Thank you for chasing the base. Thank you for coming on the podcast. You've been marvelous. I wish you continued success in your sobriety. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you uh, inviting me on here. And it's, it's been great. So thanks. All right. Thank you. You've been listening to Chase the Vase podcast. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Anchor, or Apple Podcasts to get new, fresh weekly episodes. For more information, please follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook, or visit our website, chasethevase.com. Until next time, keep chasing the vase.